Who's blowing up bridges? Why are they blaming Lupin? How can an episode centered around explosions be so boring? Let's find out together on this episode of Cyburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast. ま、Helping us find the answers are Little Miss McGuffin, Natalie. Sup? Fisherman Disguise, Emma. Hello. Manicured Pointer, Drew. Hey, howdy. And A is for action, B is for bomb, and C is for Chris. That's me. Did, did you nice. did you literally save that one for yourself? I, I, I fucking love it. I noticed that wasn't an option. <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why I was like, did he just save that for himself? And honestly, look, I'm, I, I I'm the only one whose name starts with C. You know, I, I can't be mad at that. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and once again, welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a Loop on the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all the animated and the live-action entries of the Loop on the Third franchise in mostly chronological order. And before we get into tonight's episode, it's been a while since we recorded, so let's do a little catching up with each other. Uh, Natalie. How you been? What you, what you been up to? How you doing? I've been great. Uh, my best friend got married. And Ooh, nice. um, I actually took some time off um, in between that and work because um, I don't want to put him on a spot, but our special co-host out in Switzerland came to visit and I showed him around my lovely home of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, got to go to Winchester, got to go to Alcatraz, got to go to Stanford University and uh, look at a tomb and look at some Rodin sculptures. And um, I got to see Adam Conover um, doing his comedy routine with uh, my best friend. Like after after that trip ended, it was like, oh, I had tickets to Adam Conover right in the middle of the writer's strike, too. So that was pretty neat. <laughs> very but nice. Very that's nice. What I, that's what I've been up to. And also uh, me and Guillaume got to see Tosca. And yes, if you guys are wondering, we made endless references to that one woman called Fujiko Mine episode, because that is my favorite episode of that series, because that is my favorite opera. So doing the Lord's work it is like I can't I can't talk about myself and not talk about operas. Am I right? <laughs> That's my shtick. <laughs> Chris, how about you? What you been up to? Uh, about six feet even. Um, That's good. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of the same old thing, I suppose. I mean, been kind of struggling with writer's block recently. You know, for my comic, um, went to the movies a lot since last time we recorded. Saw nice. Super Mario Brothers twice. <laughs> That's the Lord's work right there. <laughs> um, I gave a presentation about making comics at my local library, which was fun. Working a lot. That's that's pretty much it. Hey, that's good stuff right there, though. I have to ask, did, did anybody watch Renfield? Not I'm yet. Not. Okay. It was great. That's all I had to say. <laughs> nice. Emma, how about you? What you been up to? What have I been up to indeed? Um, well, today I went at work. I threw off my headphones while transcribing some dictation um, out of frustration. So that's kind of how my uh, work life has been going. 
it's going great. (laughs) (laughs) It's just today, it was the transcription that I was doing was a little difficult because it was a lot of like medical terms in it. And I was like, this, can't deal with this. Um, But outside of that, um, well, I caught up uh, completely on Yorose Yatsura. Um, So I have to catch up on Birdie Wing and G-Witch. Same. Yeah, good God. Uh, There's so much stuff I had to catch up on. Uh, Still streaming through uh, Lucifer with our friend uh, Saf. And also, speaking of that, I was going to go to Otakon uh, this year. um, But that is not feasible because flights are exceptionally expensive these days. And bitch got bills to pay. Um, So I was kind of just browsing around on the internet, and lo and behold, I found out that Tom Ellis is going to be in Pittsburgh uh, in August. And I'm like, you know, that's six and a half hours, and I'm queer, so six and a half hours is nothing uh, for a drive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, you know, I made that drive up to the, the where I went to school, and I'm going to be doing that in September for alumni band, so that's nothing. I'm like, I wonder if I can make this work. Well, it turns out even I didn't end up getting it, but a VIP package was less than just a flight to DC to meet Tom Ellis. So I was like ruminating over this for quite some time. And because I was like, man, I don't know. I got a lot of shit going on. I've had a lot of shit going on the last year. I don't know if I could do this, but you know what? Uh, I'm going to be a year sober on the 29th of May. Uh, which is a pretty big deal considering last year I probably could have died because I was drinking that much. So I was like, you know what? Treat yourself. And I got a photo op to meet Tom Ellis, Lucifer himself. And I am so pumped about it. Ooh. I'm like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to puke on him. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> the only you said playing devil's advocate would be easy. Oh, my Look, that's just a, that's just a typical day at a at a BDSM at a BDSM club in SF. So long as it's consensual, it's fine. What puking? Uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Okay, let's go. Um, I, only if I do, if I don't, uh, <laughs> that uh, it just remains to his shoes. Um, hopefully not, but we'll see how that goes. That is in August, and yeah, I am so excited for it i think about it every now and then i like remember i'm like oh my god i'm meeting tom ellis uh like his who's sexy literally sexy air out of the room and i'm so excited for that uh i can't even contain myself so that's really all i got so drew what do you have for us well it's been real nice it's pretty much been exactly one month since our last episode dropped and in the span of that time uh, my Kia Soul, uh, the engine, uh, to use a technical term, blewed up, mostly because it was kind of a lemon to begin with, and uh, I maybe should have taken care better better care of the uh, engine over the last year. That's that's kind of on me. So had to get a uh, a new Toyota Corolla, which is very nice because it's a wonderful little car. However, wonderful cars cost uh money. So I like to get a lot of, you know, Blu-rays and stuff from right stuff and criterion collection, Kino Lorber and stuff. Well, that spending is going on a, uh, 
a big old halt as uh, Tobias from the Third Impact Anime Podcast laughs at me wherever he is. So got a new car. Um, that's nice. But also have considerably less money to uh, spend now, which honestly has been really nice. It's helped me kind of budget a little bit better. So honestly, it's kind of all worked out for the good. Went to go see a Bo is Afraid, which was great. And also definitely not for everyone. Uh, right after that, um, uh, or not long after that, I got a really nasty cold, which is great because, you know, I'm very, um, uh, I think I'm, uh, my girlfriend calls me, um, oh, now the words escape me because I have podcast brain right now, but I am afraid of catching anything. So I go outside Hypo- pretty much. Hypochondriac? Is that what you're Hypochondriac, yeah. yeah. So like I go everywhere masked pretty much because not hey, COVID also just because it's nice because it helps my allergies a lot. So getting a nasty cold was a whole hell of a lot of fun. But getting that nasty cold kind of laid me up at the house for a while. I had to cancel a lot of my subscription services to afford my new car, but I can't afford Criterion Collection, at least by itself. So I've been watching a lot of like really cool noir movies on there. So which led me to um uh, Body Heat which is a really great movie from the 80s. Highly recommend it. I also watched um, a movie called The Last Seduction, which was really good with an awesome performance from Linda Fiorentino in the lead of it. It's kind of one of my favorite genres of neo-noir where it's guy gets very, very horny and then gets in a significant amount of trouble because of being horny. And I would recommend the movie, but man, during... Not going to spoil it, but like literally in the last five minutes, there is a twist in it that is very unfortunately transphobic, which kind of puts a big like over it. So like it's still it's one of those things where like it's a good movie, but no going in at the end. You're going to be like, ooh, oh, OK, that was that was weird. So if that kind of put a damper on that. And then I watched uh, the heroic trio, which Emma and Chris here have seen, which is an awesome a uh, Hong Kong action movie with Maggie Chung and Anita Mui and Michelle Yeoh. Really? I'm a 17 out of 10. Best movie. 17 out of 10. Best movie. Good film. Agreed. It's probably one of my favorite Michelle Yeoh films. So, and I'll stop myself rambling here. The last thing I saw was once I recovered, I went to go see gardens of the Ga- guardians of the galaxy volume three. And yes, once again, James Gunn made me cry over the CGI raccoon. So thanks James. Thanks for tearing my heart out. But honestly, that was actually that was actually good. It's probably the last Marvel movie I'll see in a theater, but I won't unpack that right now. Um, uh, another, <laughs> speaking of a uh, franchise that I actually will continue watching, uh, let's get to Lupin the Third, and specifically Lupin the Third Part One. Boy, that was sure was a smooth transition, wasn't it? There, there was an attempt made. There was an attempt, not a successful one, but there was, was an attempt. <laughs> I don't believe you, but thank you. Tonight, we are back to talk about Lupin the Third, Part 1, and this is Episode 11, When the Seventh Bridge Falls. So, this episode aired on January 2nd, 1972, directed by, well, technically it was uncredited, but it's a production, which, as we all know, is Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata. I know the uh, the liner notes in the Discotech Blu-ray say that it's almost 100% Miyazaki Takahata, I guess it's just like assuming based off stuff. Um, we'll get into that. I'm going to wait because there's something I noticed at the end of this, which is very interesting. I want to get y'all's thoughts on it. But um, this episode was written by Kiyoshi Miyata, who uh, we've talked about them previously. They wrote episodes of Ashtonojo, Kabitsukun, 
The Ultraman, and Umi no Triton. Their work in Lupin includes previous episodes, Farewell My Beloved Witch, and The Gang's All Here Playing Card Strategy, along with episodes 13, 14, and 22 of Part 1, and the remaining work in Lupin is 14 episodes of Part 2. And uh, the episode was storyboarded by Tamayo Kohanawa, who is, okay, let me crack my knuckles and get into this. He did storyboards for Night on the Galactic Railroad, Sherlock Hound, who uh, early episodes of that were directed by Miyazaki, Folktales from Japan, as well as episode director and character designer for um, uh, episodes in that series. Also an episode director for Huckleberry Nobokin, which was kind of fun to look into because uh, that series stars uh, Masako Nozawa as Huckleberry Finn, who you may know from Lupin. Uh, she voiced uh, Todo Mase in uh, Eternal Mermaid. She's also the voice, obviously, of Goku and Dragon Ball and Tetsuro and Galaxy Express 3.9. And uh, Yasuo Yamada voiced Jim in that Huckleberry series. So nice little fun Lupin connection there also. Kohanawa also was art director, was also art director and on the animation staff for Thundercats, which was interesting to see. Also storyboarded and directed episodes of Hello Kitty Theater and was the director for Hello Kitty in Cinderella. They also storyboarded and directed four episodes of Kirby Right Back At Ya, which was itself directed by Soji Yoshikawa, who you most likely know as the writer and director of The Mystery of Mamo. And uh, Kohanawa also storyboarded six more episodes of Part 1, along with The Legend of Gold of Babylon. Legend of the Gold of Babylon. I, I can speak, I promise. And, uh, oh yeah, one more odd little connection to our uh, last episode, episode 10. Kohanawa also did storyboards for Superbook, the anime produced by Tatsunoko Productions and licensed by the Christian Broadcasting Network. So there's an appearance from Superbook again. So there's my childhood coming back to haunt me once more. Always nice to see. And for the supporting cast in this episode, we have um, uh, okay, we have Mahito Sujimira as Volvo. He voiced King Raimon in Go Lion, aka Voltron, the Headmaster in Nintama Rontaro, Doctor Garuman Thomas in Armor Trooper Votom's Big Battle, Dead Lion and Common Rider Stronger, along with actually numerous voice roles in Common Rider uh, V3, Common Rider X, and like a handful of other Common Rider movies. Who's also the Mad Hatter in Hello Kitty in Alice in Wonderland. So we got Hello Kitty showing up again. He was also the narrator in the Tatsunoko Productions Christian Broadcasting Network series Superbook. Once again, childhood's going back to haunt me. Uh, Lupin roles include the Black Magician, Hatler, Professor Hunter, and Jirani in Part 2, as well as Colonel Tofa and Kipochi in Part 3. Uh, Rihoko Yoshida voiced Lisa. Yoshida was the voice of, uh, Emma, you're going to like this one, Rosalie in The Rose of Versailles. Um, Emma Raldus in the Space Pirate Captain Harlock TV series for two episodes. Clara in Heidi Girl of the Alps, which uh, I believe that was the uh, Sao Takahata series. So another Lupin connection going on there. Uh, Kurama in the original Yurisai Atsura. A Journey in Golf Force 2 and 3, Suomi Princess in Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid, The Queen in Hello Kitty and Snow White, and then, <clears throat> here's a run here, Monsley in Future Boy Conan, another Miyazaki series, Michiru in Getarobo and a few of its crossovers with Great Mazinger and Grindizer, Maria in UFO Robo Grindizer, Megu in Majoku in Majoku Me- Meguchan, Machiko in Miss Machiko, Mega in Transformers Super God Master Force, 
So if your older anime has a character with a name starting in M, check to see if it's uh, Rihoko Yoshida, because it may very well be. Yoshida's Lupin roles include Margaret Queen, Wilhelm Brillia, and Claudia in part two, as well as I'm I forgot how to pronounce this character's names, but Zaxiaka, I'm saying that Zaxkaya in Legend of the Golden Babylon, who is the Russian um, supermodel beauty pageant ICPO character. I'm, I'm I forgot exactly how to pronounce that character's name, but you know who I'm referring to. Uh, were you expecting so many ties to Hello Kitty and Superbook? I fucking wasn't when I went to look into this episode. <laughs> Am I also to refresh the audience? I grew up a very sheltered child in a Baptist home, and we had the only the uh, the version of Dish that was the Christian one. So we only got Christian programming, which means I watched Superbook at a very young age. So technically, I watched anime as a kid. <laughs> Not one I'd like to publicly admit that I watched, but except for I just already did. So well. Um, the Hello Kitty connection, I think, is just something that's not flooring me, but it's like just super surprising me. The, the, the I'm just imagining Hello Kitty and Lupin, and and I kind of feel like it would work. Now maybe. there's a crossover. We yeah, just had Lupin versus Cat Side. Let's get Lupin versus, Lupin Hello, versus Hello Kitty. Hello Kitty. We're petitioning that right now. <laughs> I mean, look, Hello Kitty's crossed over with Kiss, so that's I true. Mean, Anything's possible. All right, and we'll read through the (laughs) synopsis real quick. Lupin and Jigen are captured by a nameless old man while investigating a series of bridge bombings committed in their name. The man coerces the pair into robbing an armored truck by threatening the life of a young woman named Lisa. Lupin refuses to use the man's bombing techniques, saying he needs only a pistol. Can they save the girl and the loot and avoid taking the blame? Alrighty, so let's hop into our usual roundtable discussion of this episode. And uh, Emma, how did you feel about when the seventh bridge falls? You know, especially now that you listed all the voice actors, first of all, respect Emeraldus. <laughs> I was like, <gasps> and yeah, it is only two episodes of the original Space Pirate Captain Harlock. It's actually like a flashback. It's really sweet um, and really sad at the end. So there you go. There's some background to that. Um, I overall like this episode. I don't know why uh, my co-host Chris says it's boring. I think he's wrong for that. (laughs) (laughs) I see him look up really fast like, excuse me? I think there's a lot to be said about it, and I'll get more into, like, why any, in my opinion, any um, weak parts of this episode can be forgiven. First of all, it's a nice combination of asshole Lupin and sweet Lupin. Mm. I like both, and I think it's, it's my favorite kind to balance. This is seen primarily i.e. pushing Jigen into the water. Great. (laughs) And then offering coffee to Lisa. I tried doing like a coffee name on this, like a barista Lupin. (laughs) But he just did it like black coffee. I guess he didn't have anything. Um, And going on that, like I like uh, all his pout faces in this episode. They're really peak here, especially like when he pours the coffee. And like... Uh, mm-hmm. He gets like his attention drawn from him, 
And he's like, does like the look like really fast over his shoulder and like, excuse me, <laughs> like try me bitch. Um, I, I definitely like that. I wish that they explored Lisa more to give her more depth. I'm sure we'll probably talk about that more. But even still, I think there's a lot uh, that happens in this episode. The boys are in ship captain gear, which I, I said to Drew before we started recording this, this is like a major flashback to my childhood. You brought up your childhood. Um, it was like the old salty look. I wish like there had more of like the yellow like coat and hat, but he had the beard and then Jigen kind of had that stripy shirt look. Um, my grandparents had like the giant like whittled statues of those in their house because they were really into the nautical theme and they scared the shit out of me as a child. And I feel like they still would. I know like my uncle has them and I see them and I get a little scared by them. <laughs> I'm like, mm. <laughs> they just have a really weathered look. And I feel like Jigen especially really fits that look. And mm -hmm. I got like really excited when I saw tugboat Jigen look, because it also just reminded me in 2020, the summer of 2020, there was a pirate AU that just like blew up in the fandom. There were discord servers for that AO. And I was like, man, <laughs> that was a time. So it really like made me feel nostalgic for that. Not only for my grandparents' house, but for that specific AU. Uh, all the best music choices are in this episode. They got all, all the hits, all my favorites. Amen. Um, so, which leads me into why I said any of the weak parts of this episode can be made up solely for the scene of Lupin cocking the gun with his teeth, which is probably the coolest scene, one of the coolest scenes in the entire franchise. I'm just going to say that right now. Mic drop. It's cool as fuck, and then the whistle starts, and I'm just like, it awakened something within me, like feral, like deep inside. I just felt it. And I was like, oh, for some reason, I'm like, I've never liked guns, but like, I kind of in, into that in particular. And yeah, it is the whistle theme that really sells it for me. And I just loved all of that. I love how Chris leaves as I'm talking about like, <laughs> what I think like negates the negative parts of this episode. He'll hear none like, of it. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, fuck you. <laughs> um, Jigen driving off in the boat. LOL. Uh, that was fun. Also, and I was talking about this before we recorded, too. I watched both the sub and the dub, um, one after the other. And in the dub, uh, there's a scene where the dock gets ripped off and then Doug, uh, Zenigata, like, falls in the water and... I was telling Drew I had to rewind this like 10 times because I was laughing too hard because like Jigen floating up from the bottom of the screen was just murdering me <laughs> so much that I was just like, I can't hear what I think that I hear. And I felt like I heard Doug Airholt's like noises in the water, <laughs> which if Hopefully I wasn't hallucinating it. Drew said I wasn't hallucinating it, that that was actually a thing that happened. 
So I was like, oh, that makes it even better to me. Just hear rather like <laughs> didn't uh, hallucinate Doug Airholt's noises, which would actually be terrifying if that was the case. Um, get me into help if that happens. Um, so, if you are experiencing Doug Airholt's noises. <laughs> you, you might need to go to the emergency room. Lauren would have a word with you about that. <laughs> I guess it's better than Philip Wilburn noises. <laughs> that, is true. that is absolutely true. Um, which, yeah, that made that scene ten times funnier. I mean, you already have jeans floating up like like a Google slide transition into the screen, which made it so fucking funny to me. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, there were parts that I was like, mm, like I said, Lisa wanting more um, – development the villain had like his eyes were so widely set i could not like not focus on that and like i couldn't stop laughing about it i think i said earlier i was like it was anya taylor joy without all the charm (laughs) without the beauty um that's really all i got on this episode so who wants to go next natalie how about you how how did you feel about the uh the seventh bridge falling uh i was waiting for the eighth bridge but oh bad joke (laughs) no um (laughs) So for me, I watched um, both the, I I didn't watch the original Japanese and I'm not saying that because like I didn't want to, I watched the original Japanese many years ago, but for the purpose of this review, I watched, um, I watched the English dub and then I watched the Latino Spanish dub because that's the dub I really enjoy. And I also watched it in French because, um, Guillaume and I were talking about it and I was like, you know, I'm going to watch it in French, but I'm not going to talk about the French one because my French is still in my opinion, a little bit rudimentary. I can understand a lot of it, but my speaking, don't at me. Do not, please. So let me just talk about the English dub real quick. It felt like, I feel like at this point, and this is what, episode 11? I feel like at this point in the English dub, it really did bring me back to watching um, some of the part two dubs, especially the moment when it starts and Zenigata comes on scene Um he says a couple, of the, even though it's Doug Erholtz and not, um, oh my goodness, um, who was the dub voice in part two? Dan Lorger. Yeah, and not Dan Lorger. Oh my God, I'm frazzled. Anyways, and it wasn't Dan Lorger. Um, there was some Dan Lorger-ness to his performance in that beginning, especially with like the good gravy lines. Um, <laughs> I love how Chris is smiling at me because like I just, I was rewatching that today at work and I'm like, oh yes, this is this reminds me of part two. And also um, just, oh Emma, you, you, I, I'm going to take it over from you now, but it's like, Tony Oliver, the goat, the goat. I just love the dichotomy. That's what I'm about. That's why I just love the dichotomy in this episode with him in terms of like what Emma said, the asshole Lupin and the sweet Lupin. Like that, that's my, that, you know, my boy. Um, <laughs> Cause like you get these moments where he's being very cocky to, um, oh God, I can't think of the old man's name, but um you know, our villain of this episode. So you get these moments where he's like cocky with him and trying to figure out what's going on and who are, who is this person like impersonating him blowing up these bridges. <laughs> now you're trying to order me around for this big plan of yours? Order me the great Lupin? <laughs> but then you get those sweet moments that are almost Cagliostro-like. I know it's been hard, but it shouldn't be much longer. By this time tomorrow, you'll be sleeping in your own bed. I promise you. With the MacGuffin, um, what's her name? Lisa? I'm terrible with names, so it's Lisa, right? Yeah. Um, 
you get yeah. these you get these very sweet mo- sweet and tender moments with her, which frankly, um, I don't see this a lot about woman characters, but she really. Uh, I mean, I I want to know what was happening in the writing room in the seventies when they were conceiving this episode, because like. Did, I, I know Chris will mention, because Guillaume mentioned to me that this is based off two, um, <laughs> they were based off two um, manga chapters. However, comma, was it really necessary to add just a rando woman? Couldn't, I mean, it could have easily been Fujiko, in my opinion, and it could have been like that one really great part two episode with um, the guy asking Lupin to steal something from MI6, otherwise he, his pants are going to blow up. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best way I can summarize it. Don't at me. But um, anyways, yeah, I love how Chris put it. MacGuffin of a character. But I still enjoy these sweet, tender moments that Lupin had with her that really shows this economy with um, with Tony Oliver and his acting. That being said, I didn't feel that I did not feel that dichotomy a lot in the Spanish dub, which... I can't say I can't say a lot for that because that's not a dub that I'm used to. I just watch it for the sake of, oh, I understand Spanish and this is really interesting and I like it. And Lupin's pretty popular in my mother's motherland, Mexico. So um yeah, it wasn't <laughs> the dichotomy was not there in the Spanish dub. I did I also wanna like give a brief shout out to the ending where you have that Cagliostro-like moment where Lupin's like, ah, she's a really nice girl. And then Jigen's like, well, why don't you go stay with her? And then he like swerves and it ends with like him being like literally um, blossomed out of the car, of the, of the boat. So eh. <laughs> that ending brought a smile to my face, but I mean, that's all I can say about this. Also, um, did they confirm geographically this isn't Japan? Because it looks a lot like the Netherlands. At least there weren't any hills in this in this part of the Netherlands. Yeah, that was something I noticed too. I'm, uh, I'll get to that when I get to my notes. But I noticed the setting was uh, very European in this one compared yeah. to some of the other episodes. And then I got, I think I, I think I know what that might be possibly. But mm-hmm. we'll, 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 I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait my turn. Yeah, because with the canals, as someone who has been to Amsterdam, it looked like the netherlands and i couldn't help but think of um our you know friend friend of the podcast family kara and how she loves to point out in hottie miles treasure that there are no hills in amsterdam so when, <laughs> when, I, when I saw that geographical location i'm like okay but did but this does this netherlands have hills don't think so <laughs> it's just me or did i mean I'm, i mean i've been paying attention but it seemed like the briefcase was full of american dollars as well Hmm. Mm, maybe question mark. That's a good point, I it, actually. I think it's what it was. Yeah. I mean, I've been paying attention though. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, that's all I can really say about this episode. I mean, for context, um, I think we we've, we've mentioned that we're just we've just finally gotten out of the um Osumi era by this point, and or partially, or not, partially. But it doesn't. There's no elements of Osumi to me that I recognize within this episode, unless you count, you know, the um, the Iron Maiden like chair that will saw somebody in half, which fucking metal. Yeah, I, I don't see a lot of Osumi influence in this episode. I do see some Miyazaki influence because again, there's elements of this that reminds me of Cagliostro, but I can't. I cannot comment too much on that because one, I did not dig. I did not dig that dig that deep into my own research of this episode. I just watched this for posterity's sake because 
I was more focused on what I enjoyed from it more so than the technicality behind it. So, I mean, which is saying a lot for me, considering that part one is not, I know I get a lot of flack for this, but part one is not, not really my favorite. There's episodes I love and I realize more of a Miyazaki, I'm a Miyazaki girl over Osumi in that regard. But yeah, that's, that's just me there. I'm I'm done rambling. Who wants to go next? (laughs) Chris, how about you? How are you feeling about that? That seventh bridge. Okay. I'm just going to do like normally do and just go over my notes here. I want to be perfectly honest with you. This episode has never really stuck out in my memory. Hmm. Unlike the manga chapters that it's fairly loosely based on, which are some of my favorites. Uh, the main one is called Blunder in Japan, as well as uh, in English, it's A is for action, B is for bomb. It was one of the few chapters I could let my younger brother read because there was no sex or nudity in it. it was, uh, so is, is that where you got the name then? Yeah. Bitchin. Yeah. A, is, Bitchin. A is for action, B is for bomb, B, C is for Chris. LOL. And um, so the premise of that story is that someone is blowing up bridges in alphabetical order as a way to lure out Lupin. He does recon by shoving Jigen into the lake repeatedly to retrieve the exploding cases. And the whole time Jigen's just complaining until Lupin eventually just throws him out of the car and drives off. Anyway, it turns out that the bomber in the manga is actually a woman. Specifically, she's Pai Cow's widow. And this whole thing is just a revenge scheme. Hmm. Oh, so that explains my name. Well, one of the other names that you were going to use. Yeah. Yeah, the magician's widow, yeah. So she stabs Lupin with an exploding knife, but Jigen manages to remove it from his arm, then explains that the knife is still going to explode, and the chapter ends with uh, Jigen hauling ass out of the hideout while Lupin is covered in ash and soot chasing after him. And there's a uh, another chapter, I think it's chapter 12 of the original series. Uh, the English version is called Interview with a Lupin. Uh, in that one, you know, Lupin is being interviewed by someone that's working for the story's villain. And uh, the guy is wanting to recruit Lupin to steal something for him. And so he just picks this <clears throat> seemingly random girl and threatens her as incentive. But anyway, so right off the bat with this episode, I watched it uh, dubbed because I've seen it sub several times. I agree with Natalie. I love the fact we get a uh, part two style good gravy. At the beginning. <laughs> good gravy! And, um... Uh, I, I knew you would love it as much as I did, yes, Chris. So OG, OG. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm being really hard on Richard Epcar for this dub, but the way he says, Darn that Zenigata. Just his delivery of that felt really awkward, but then, uh, shortly after he's got... Yeah, I don't care about bridges. Again, freaking great. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right. You know, he turned that around pretty quick. Um, I like the touch of Lupin you know, not wearing his jacket while inside the hideout. I feel like TMS nowadays would never let Gene go an entire scene with his eyes visible, even though he's scuba diving. They would have come too much to obscure it. Um, I guess they were still thinking about budget cuts in the 70s, as we as we joked. I don't know why. I'm, I'm not sure if it was an intentional joke, but the speed of Lupin's boat got a chuckle out of me. The fact that it's moving at the, you know, at the pace of a lethargic snail compared to the uh, bombers. <laughs> the dummy being used to demonstrate the saw blade feels very part two to me. I also thought it was kind of weird how the pointer that the, that, uh, what's the name, Bulldo <laughs> is using seems to have a fingernail on it. Yeah. It, that always kind of weirded me out. <laughs> Dude, I was so creeped out. I was like, <laughs> like I, don't think, I don't think it's supposed to resemble a fingernail, but that's, that's how it looks. 
Because I, I thought it was like someone like him pointing at the thing. I'm like, oh, that's a weird fingernail. And then it like pans back. And I'm like, his fingers lost. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> that's a long ass finger. I, I will admit that it reminded me of um, me. I, I like, I grew up poor. I eat anything. I like chicken feet. But when you buy them from the store, they have the nails still on them and you got to clip them. So I'm looking at that and I'm like, why does it look like is that supposed to be a chicken? Oh, that's a, oh. So I got chicken foot out of it, but that's just who me. wants chicken nails? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's quite a feat. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I, I, oh god, I was gonna keep taking the puns, but Emma was already rolling her eyes, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna save her. I'm gonna save her the puns because um, I, I'm I'm not on toes about that today, so. Got what you. Anyway, um, I have here the notes that Lisa is cute, and that's all she's got going for her. Mm-hmm. Like, at least in the manga, you know, the lady that was being threatened turns out to be in cahoots with the villain at the end. So the whole thing was a sham. Like, that would have been a bit more interesting than the nothing that we got with her here. I've always wondered what was up with the ghost town that the armored truck uh, winds up in, but... Mm. I did some very quick research, and apparently there's quite a few ghost towns in Japan, so I guess it's not too far out. Oh, okay. Um, I kind of dug the heist as a whole. I also really like the uh, the Wily Coyote-esque fake road facade, which was also from the manga. Zenigata driving up onto the dock is a bit of animation that's always stuck with me. Mm. As a matter of fact, I think the episode overall starts to get better when, when Pop shows up. You know, because like, it was, it was like kind of... A, Mostly, like, not a whole lot of interest. And then Zenigata shows up, and then, you know, things really get going in, like, the last few minutes. Lupin riding the dock as it's being pulled by the boat, as already mentioned, is a really cool moment, especially when he coxes Walter with his teeth and takes aim. A moment which... Oops. Ah, damn it. Hold on. Let me know quick. Get this thing to stay together. A moment which was immortalized in the small figure that... Emma got for me for Christmas last year. Hey, nice. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? Aww. You know, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are appreciating me holding this up to the camera here. Um, <laughs> you know. I, I say post it on Twitter once um, the like, episode. Listeners, listen very closely. You can hear it. <laughs> you can you can hear You can yeah, imagine this is the good screen. Radio. Just imagine it. But uh, Lupin face planting onto the boat is a fun little bit of monkey punch-esque slapstick. And especially the way the board sticks in the ground and launches him, yeah. I thought was beautifully animated. I love that. Zenigata pulling up next to Lisa as she watches Lupin leave feels very much like Miyazaki trying out bits for his feature film debut. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of neat how the next episode preview name drops James Bond and introduces season two. But yeah, overall, I think the episode picks up and becomes really fun in the last few minutes. It's not very remarkable otherwise, in my opinion. Like, I don't want to say it's a nothing episode because not everyone can be the gang's all here playing card strategy or win or lose in 0.1 seconds. Mm. And this is certainly better than my mother's documents and Farewell, Beloved Witch. You know, like sometimes you get an episode that's just kind of okay. You know, it's just yeah. not great, not bad. It's you know, fine. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing really right with it either, though. That's the problem. <laughs> well, yeah, didn't we already establish there's going to be hit or misses? A, a lot more hits than misses, but there are misses. And those misses miss. Well, I like the fact that you bring up that you felt like it got better when Sunny Gata came up, which goes along with my theory that 
any special with him where he's like a strong figure, it's like mid to high tier. So mm, like, yeah, that's, that's why Tokyo Crisis is the best TV special. That I means a big part of it, at least. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Alcatraz, yeah. So I get it. I, I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah, I, I didn't dislike the episode, but I didn't really love it either. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Chief, what about you? What did you think of it? Okay, so this one, this is one of those episodes that, like, I, I, I do like this one. There was a uh, tweet. I'm a real goober who just kind of exists around on film Twitter. And there's a uh, a guy named uh, Brandon Strusnig, really cool dude. So he shows up on a lot of podcasts I listen to and all that. And he was talking about, like, Hong Kong action movies and how they're, like, you know, they, they kind of get put on a pedestal being like the pinnacle of action. But like, you know, that that, 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 that can be kind of a dangerous thing because you're kind of like kind of weirdly othering a culture and like being a little like, you know, kind of what's the word I'm looking for here. It, 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 it's very othering where it's kind of like, ah, Meditizing, perhaps. Yeah. And I have, 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 he mentioned how there's like there's Hong Kong action movies that are like they're just fine. But he mentioned specifically there are some that are just fine that are elevated by final acts. Which is what kind of reminded me of this episode where like I, I, I did quite like this one a lot. Like it, it, it kind of got more entertaining as it went on. I, I love that you mentioned the Wiley Coyote because I wrote in my notes that I love the Roadrunner shenanigans at Lupin and Jigen Pool <laughs> redirecting the truck around, which is a fun little bit. I, 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 I specifically love the logistics of them tricking the uh, truck <laughs> to <laughs> drive off of a pier and directly into their boat. Perfectly fine. Quickly put a tarp over it. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Such a nice little visual gag. I also noticed um, uh, the setting seemed very European, even though the newscaster's name is T. Kozai, which is, you know, is a very Japanese name, but the setting seems very European. And since this episode seems to largely be Miyazaki and Takahata, them taking over it. Miyazaki really does like his European settings, both he like, does. I mean, really shows that in Cagliostro. Um, God, like any Ghibli movie you can think of. So that, that, that that's kind of an interesting little touch. I wonder if that was originally part of this episode. We'll, we'll genuinely never know, but I wonder if that was like a little makes you, it, it made me kind of wonder if that was a little touch that he, he added that he and Takahata added themselves. Also notice this episode doesn't have Fujiko in it. And it's the first one, apparently, with like without her in it, which is kind of fascinating to see. I took note of that and then noticed on the Lupin fandom wiki, which is a website you can look at sometimes that has information or not. So I noticed they pointed that out there. So that was fun. That's the, the thing about this episode is I, I also don't dislike it. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I'll, one little thing that was fun, the villain in this, Volvo, who isn't actually called Volvo, and Volvo was a name in the original script for the last episode of a character that got cut out, which is kind of fascinating, even though they never say his name in this one. Um, it's another rich asshole villain, which seems to be Miyazaki's kind of favorite thing with Lupin, which kind of first appeared with Mr. Gold. Being kind of the, the you know the rich fat cat who's a real asshole and Lupin and Jigen are going to show him up. So wait, are we saying that Miyazaki's a comrade? Oh my god, have you read <laughs> Miyazaki's comments specifically about the Vietnam War? I'm saying it. He's saying it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> comrade. 
You don't look that put out by life. <laughs> Literally, one, my next note was I wrote that like Volvo's got a fun Volvo's got a fun little diorama for this whole scheme set up. And like, man, like he could just settle into a wonderful little hobby of just like making little towns with like little motorized things. But he's so like corrupted by greed that really it's a cautionary tale about the corrupting power of capitalism. So I can see Miyazaki's influence there. Am I overthinking it? Maybe. Probably. Yeah. But it was fun to think about. It's, it's um, a fun little theory, especially because considering you talk about his <laughs> Europe, his love of Europe, the guy did Heidi. And, and as someone who really loves Switzerland and really loves the book Heidi, it is one of the most, oh God, Guillaume described it beautifully, that it is so about country life and anti-capitalism because all the jobs were in Germany and not in Switzerland. So like, oh God, it's all coming together. We could we could create a whole Pepe Sylvie board around this. Once again. <laughs> I also just love the notion of Lupin Jigen going on vacation in like what appears to be a little European town and immediately getting caught up in a scheme of a man who's been plotting this against them for seemingly maybe decades. Putting all his resources into it, which is <laughs> that's a fun little detail. I love the ghost town setting. I'm glad you brought that up, also, Chris. Like it, 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 it's. I, I'm not sure like what the basis of it was, but honestly, it's it, it's cool visually. It's like a nice little setting there. I, I love how Jigen gets like weirdly greedy at the end of the episode and is willing to be like, "Hey, let's just take the money and like leave the girl." And it's like, man, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> come on. Lupin's one who's got to kind of steer him straight there. So, yeah, I'll get to like the thing that left the uh, the biggest impression on me for this was the uh, the ending of this, which like, man, this was an episode like I liked it well enough. There's fun little shenanigans. The villains like, you know, kind of interesting. It's kind of the first not the first like megalomaniacal villain, but he's like just like purely evil. Like he puts like uh, I haven't mentioned Lisa yet. Lisa's there. Lisa's a plot device, which is kind of a bummer. What does it say, really? <laughs> it's like I, I definitely get the prototype, like you know that shot at the end, the Clarice thing. But man, at least Clarice is a a character, you know, and not a MacGuffin. Um, I, I was waiting for you to call her a two by four. Oh yeah, I haven't used that expression in a while, have I? Yeah, I was waiting for you to call her a yeah, two she, by four. Really haven't. We need to start using that again. Yeah, so, so, so I Lisa's mean, a two I, by four. I wouldn't say she. I wouldn't say she's particularly flat. Damn it, Chris! No, nothing. I add the cricket sound in here when you. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was probably earned. I deserve that. The final ten minutes of this are so fucking hype. The the the, the humor. Zenigata's like like the whole like cavalcade of police cars that descend down the hill, like Zenigata's car like going on the pier and like wobbling around, and him just emerging from it as it completely just crashes and sinks, like pulling the gun on Lupin, the villain whisking away, but Lupin's already two steps ahead of him. He's got the rope tied up to the back of the boat. Immediately goes you know water skiing on a plank, and then you get the sound like start to gently fade out and you get the end credits theme, like the whistle variation. And the only moment that like, and again, I, I have no idea if I could be speaking on my ass. The only moment that felt vaguely Masaki Osumi ish was the ending, mostly because of just kind of like the editing of that, that particular like track coming in. It has that kind of melancholic 
vibe that Osumi's episodes do. Also, the background music cuts out, although it feels intentional this time. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. It's specifically like that shot where I'm, um, you get the shot from Lupin's point of view of him, like, you know, leveling the wall through the sights directly on the villain. Oh, yeah. I also forgot to mention the the coolest and most horrifying moment of it for me personally, when Lupin cocks the gun with his teeth, because I have exceptionally sensitive teeth. And that scene is always cool. But I'm always like, I would never you could not pay me money. <laughs> I, I, I'm both like, yeah, and also just simultaneously, like internally just crumbling to pieces like no don't do that um uh, there's only two anime characters that can do that um perfectly i feel and my but that's just me that's <laughs> lupon and go ahead and say yes with me emma alucard alucard yeah because well the difference is alucard's a vampire his teeth can handle it um whereas lupon i okay, know a lot of okay but lupon and third has been a vampire too that's hey. true, but also like most of his teeth are prosthetics anyways. <laughs> Not all of them are real. Dude's got to have like 50 fucking bridges up up in there. I know like we got 36 or 32 feet when at the this two point. bridges so. fall. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, man. <laughs> There's your episode title. Beautiful. <laughs> when the tooth bridges fall. Beautiful. But but no, th- this episode has that really nice blend of Lupin, who's like a bit of a scoundrel, but he's really sweet around the plot device. And then like he's he can be cold hearted when he needs little to Ms. be. McGuffin. Oh, yes. Miss little Miss McGuffin. Um, <laughs> but you get that bit at the end where like, you know, I always like it, it, it's in a lot of part one. I love how it's also in the Kawike films. It, it, it's a thing I love about Lupin when he's written really well is that he will like like it. Murdering is kind of like a last resort. Like, you know, they're killers, they're criminals, they're dangerous. But I always like, like, I like when he has like that code of it's only when it's absolutely necessary. Like this dude's taking it like a young girl who's going to murder her, levels the gun. It's cool. It's badass. Also, when he shoots Volvo, when Volvo falls off the boat, his character design is entirely different, which obviously animation errors happen like. A lot. It's it's common with a lot of older shows. What's um, interesting about this little detail, and I wonder if this is maybe the tiny little remnant of maybe what existed from the Osumi episode. And again, this is just pure speculation. But when he flings off the boat, that's the fisherman disguise that Volvo wears when he likes when he puts out the fishing lure and it snaps. He's got a big purple coat, gray pants, a little pink hat or a little purple hat. And like a big life vest on. And when Lupin shoots Volvo off the boat, Volvo's wearing like, you know, his red tuxedo and his blue tie. When he falls off the boat, it's the fisherman disguise. And again, it could be like a simple animation error, but I've hyper focused on that so much. <laughs> I'm like, so was the fisherman the original? Because I know in the uh, the liner notes on the discotheque DVD, they mentioned that like they're the uh, they mentioned as Chris talked about the. Uh, Original manga story, how being Paikal's widow, they were going to change that. It was going to be Paikal's younger eye-patched brother, Lao Chu, whose name was inspired by another Chinese drink. And Lao Chu apparently never made it past the seti sheets, or the model sheets. So it can't be that. I just wonder, like, what what is the story there? I will never know it. 
none of this never will, but it, it fascinates me that I guess like maybe, who knows, maybe Volvo rapidly changed into his fisherman's disguise to escape before Lupin fired the final deadly shot at him. Anyway. He died as he truly is. <laughs> a terrible fisherman. <laughs> Instant wardrobe change. Finesse. So that, that that was a fun little detail. And it, and there, again, there's the, the wonderful little shot at the end that's straight out of Cagliostro. And again, we, we mentioned this last episode. It reminded me of that very, very depressing Miyazaki quote where he referred to Cagliostro as a clearance sale of all of his previous ideas. I was like, hey, once again, man, that's depressing. Cagliostro is good. Even though like, yeah, there's recy- like there's recycled ideas. But like, I think I, I, I think he did him pretty well. He's being a little too hard on himself. And at least... When he reused that shot, he had at least an actual character there that time. There's even a line at the very end where Jigen's like, why don't you go back over there? She's so cute or something like that. And it's like, why? Why? (laughs) Yes. Zero personality. Also, she seems incredibly young. So Jigen, maybe don't make that comment. That's weird. But yeah, that's that's pretty much my thoughts on it. It was like a pretty, pretty good episode. And then it gets great at the ending. And that's all I can ask for. Lupin, like, it's like. If it's a good time, I'm happy. You know, like it's it, it's it's there's occasionally an episode or two that we've talked about that I've like not been super crazy on, but like even the ones I'm not crazy on when I revisited them recently, it's still Lupin. It's still fun. So it's a fun little episode. Not too bad, and a fucking great final little act there. So that's all my jumbled up thoughts. And a weird finger pointer. Weird fingers. Weird, weird, weird long finger. I've heard of a pointer finger. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and I don't know. At least there was a heist in this. I, th- that's more than I can say for a lot of like um, episodes that aren't that great. Like the little rag on my mother's documents for a long time. But there wasn't there wasn't even a heist in that one. At least this one, one we're talking about right now, has a fucking heist. Which is what I watch Lupin for. I mean, I like Lupin... Either way, I, I'll take my Lupin as I take it. But um, when there's a heist, you know, then it's really Lupin, at least for me. <laughs> no, that's understandable. But with the with the thing about like Miyazaki and his reusing a lot of ideas, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I mentioned when I talked about it earlier how this episode just has some moments that remind you. If, if you had seen Cagliostro before this, and yeah, you're reminded a little bit of Cagliostro. And we joke a lot that like TMS loves to do the whole, Hey, remember Cagliostro, but we can't really say that for something that is pre Cagliostro. So I did neglect to mention the castle at the end, which gave me just extra Cagliostro vibes. Mm. But at the same time, um, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling. It's not Cagliostro. (laughs) I'm also glad you mentioned the castle because there's a wonderful visual gag at the end of this when Lupin does fling onto the shore. I love how all the windows in the castle open. It's just filled with police officers just waiting for him. That's what I was going to, that's what I was leading to, but I was kind of like, wait a minute. (laughs) Remembering Cagliostro. You can't say you really remember Cagliostro when this was pre Cagliostro. But no, I'm, I mean, I, this just makes me realize how much I love Miyazaki. And yeah, Miyazaki tends, Miyazaki reuses tropes, characters, and some elements of stories. And yeah, we just realized he really loves Europe and he's a comrade. I'm cool with this. <laughs> Based. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to be, um, I'll be traveling again to Europe in August. And um, 
non secular, but I'm doing some research on um, Sherlock Holmes and Puccini from for my travels. But to make a long story short, I'm this close, and I mean it, I'm this close to just traveling to um, the Grizzins where Heidi is set, and just rewatch, Ooh. yeah, and rewatch um, Miyazaki's Heidi and reread the Johannes uh, Springy book, and just be like. I get it, Miyazaki. I get why you love this because I love Europe too. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to be in my itinerary. We'll see and I'm that. sure Europe loves you as well. So overall, pretty good episode. Loop on the third part one, and and um, I know we mentioned earlier the Osumi thing. The next few episodes and episode seventeen are going to be when like we start getting the kind of last little little bits of them because I know that the liar notes. And again, this is all. It's just going by the liner notes, but I know they mentioned that like the next episode has a little bit of like a good bit of Osumi in it. Apparently, but where the time traveler has like a bit of a 50-50 mix. And then episode 17 has like a blend. So we're, we're starting to wind down with the old Osumi, who was, I guess, not much to be seen here. But again, who's to say? But once again, part six, part six, part one, still having a pretty good time with it. Did you see the killing fields of Cambodia again, Drew? Nah, <laughs> I made my piece. Okay, good. We, uh, we've already heard all of his parts on Thought 6. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's true. But to start wrapping up here, I'm, uh, Emma, where can we find you on the social medias? On the social medias, you can find me on Twitter at, where's my Twitter? Uh, E-M-M-A-W-O-L-F-E-227. Don't go on there unless you just want to complete that shit stream of thoughts and energy. You can find me on Instagram at E-M-Wolf-W-O-L-F-E-227. Uh, post a lot of my cosplay and my animals, mostly. Um, with that, um, really, those are probably my two largest used uh, social medias at this time. So that's all I got there. So, Natalie, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I don't really post a lot of stuff lately because Twitter is just like, assess- it's even more of a cesspool than it was before. Um, so if you want to see me reposting a lot of political stuff and uh, drama, <laughs> that's not my own. You you can find me there at cap, C-A-P-L-I-H-E-L-L-S-I-N-G. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Captain C A P T A I N L I H E W L S I N G. Now that my finals are practically over from grad school, I will be finally working on those projects. I actually have a, I'm working on a idea for a podcast, and also um, I got some writings coming up, including stuff that will be um, in regards to my upcoming European travel. There's actually, I, I won't give any spoilers, but I'll be going to the Russian back falls. So there's going to be something related to Sherlock Holmes with that. Um, so once I announce it, I will post it on all the socials, but m- m- more so my Instagram. Cause then I can post photos of me trying to hike <laughs> in Meringue, Switzerland, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, and I'll also be joining a, um, Game of, Thro- um, Game of Thrones podcast pretty soon. So, Ooh. yeah. Watch me ramble about feudalism, y'all. <laughs> and and why I'm Team Black. <laughs> um, but when that comes up, I'll let y'all know. So, that's where you can find me. Um, amazing Chris Godby. Where can we find you? Oh, you'll find me in my bed soon. Yeah, Start nodding off there um, again. Aww. <laughs> Let's see, you can find me on Twitter at 
Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. I also have a art Twitter, against my better judgment, at AmazingChrisG. I'm on Instagram at AmazingChrisGodby, that's uh, G-O-D-B-E-Y, which is also my name on uh, Newgrounds. Um, I have two webcomics, uh, WeirdInACan.com and DrawOCoward.com. Yeah, I think it's pretty much... I'm probably forgetting something. Oh, well. I got I got all the big ones. Drew, where can we find you as well as this podcast? Well, I mean, I guess they don't need help finding the podcast because they're listening to it, but let's say hypothetically that if they didn't, where can they find it? <laughs> hypothetically, uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's a D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. You'll find me mostly tweeting about movies and other things, just me being dumb in general, which is what I do best. <laughs> Um, you also find the podcast on Twitter while it still exists at Lupin pod. That's L U P I N P O D. However, you can also find us on Mastodon at once again, L U P I N P O D. You can find us on Tumblr at sideburns and cigarettes. And uh, you can also find us on our Instagram at Lupin pod and coffee also at Lupin pod. Uh, you can feel free to donate. It is not required or expected, but much appreciated. And all money goes to goes directly to both our Zencaster subscription and our SoundCloud subscription. And uh, you can also listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, feel free to scroll up or scroll down and give us a rating and review. Five stars would be nice, but also, once again, not expected, but appreciated. Um, <laughs> One last little fun plug. There is a brand new, very exciting Lupin fanzine. Um, uh, actually, currently available for order right now as we speak until the end of the month, May 31st. It is Between Heists, a Lupin the Third fanzine. It's all about Lupin the Third, his partners, and what they do between heists with a number of uh, incredible artists and people behind it. So yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a slice of life loop on the third fanzine. It's a project uh, spearheaded by Tabby Wolf. If you don't follow Tabby Wolf on Twitter, uh, you should because she is one of the most knowledgeable Lupin fans and a really cool person. So um, and there's also a number of awesome artists involved with this too. So come on, go ahead and order it. This is not a request. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, all proceeds um, uh, will be going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So again, it's a great, it's a great project with great people all going to a great cause. So, what do you got to lose? Toss some support their way. I know I'm going to be doing that when I get paid. I should probably tell you where to find this um, uh, instead of just talking about it. It is at uh, betweenheist.bigcartel.com, and you can also find it on Twitter at betweenheists. And uh, actually, we'll, we'll be putting both those links into the, the description of this episode. So just flip that open and give it a look. And also, on a final note, I forgot to bring this up in the last episode, the last few episodes we recorded, but uh, Lee Sparks of Lupin Central has done the thing that I should probably do at some point and uh, left Twitter, but he is still keeping up Lupin Central, the site. So, you know, for any brand new updates, please toss some support his way. He's got a coffee page too. So, you know, for all of your Lupin news and updates, consider, you know, keeping out on the site, following him on uh, Twitter, following him on Tumblr and Instagram 
Glee is doing great work over there. In fact, speaking of Tabby Wolf, she has also contributed there. And also our uh, our own amazing Chris Godby is a rider at Lupin Central. So again, awesome people involved with an awesome project. So toss some support their way too. This like man, I'm gonna get really sappy and sentimental at the end of this, but the Lupin fandom has some really, really awesome people in it. Also the most talented and wonderful people. Present company included. The kind of had to like sieve out some stuff, but like what we what we've got now. I come I have the constant coming to Jesus moment of the butterfly effect of my life, and it's like, where would I be if I didn't find Lupin back in two thousand two when I was 12, 13, wondering, you know, loving the show. I mean, again, I, I'm able to travel thanks to Lupin. I'm, I study, I'm getting my master's degree thanks to Lupin, though that's also in part because of my native Californian heritage. And TLDR, um, I'm so grateful. I'm having a really difficult time in my life right now. Um, I just went through extreme litigation and, um, and um, I have some family members currently sick, but at the end of the day, it's like I always come back to my friends, my friends that I have in this fandom and um, Lupin itself, like rewatching Lupin recently for the pod. It was like, where have you been? Where have you been these past four weeks, my love? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry if I'm going to start crying. <laughs> hey, no shame there. But no, whether it be between heists, the Lupin fanzine or Lupin Central, can consider throwing some support that way because it's they're good people. Yeah, this fandom's cool. We work hard on this stuff, okay? <laughs> this fandom has a lot of cool people in it, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Man, this makes me happy. Yeah. So, I, would, I would hug you guys, but you're all over the world. <laughs> Just like the Lupin gang. <laughs> hey! That's a good point. So, on that note, Lupontic folks, we'll see you next time. And I said and, and then had no plan of what I was going to say next. What can our lovely listeners do for us on iTunes? Yes, and. <laughs> what was that, Chris? What can our lovely listeners do for us on iTunes? I mentioned that earlier. Five, oh, damn. I missed to make the joke. I don't know why I did ten. I'll sleep again. Oh, say it again. <laughs> please give us five stars we greatly appreciate it. we need the validation please help us oh god okay anyway on, on that note everyone who gives us five stars will be uh you know it's greatly appreciated by hand get, give Amen. us the validation our parents never gave us please <laughs> okay so I, I said the thing that's either suggestive or threatening so my shtick is clear so <laughs> anyways Good night, Lupontic folks. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>